Hello, history nerds and historians. My name is Christina and this is F-Dop History. This is where we talk about a little tidbit from history. That's super fucked up. Well, I'm back. <laughs> hey, it's been a while. Yeah, I posted that mega episode back in May to be like, oh, hey, I'm back for good. Never gonna leave you again. This was such an unexpected turn of events that led to me not posting for months on end. I'm never ever gonna leave you. I'm gonna post consistently for the rest of the summer. And then I ghosted you again. Sorry about that. Uh, But I mean, I am my father's daughter after all. boy. Oh, it's been almost 20 years since he went out for that carton of milk. So at least it hasn't been that long. And I would say that I hope that he's doing okay. But honestly, at this point, like, all I feel is apathy about it. And that, my friends, is growth. (laughs) I bet some of you are like, oh my god, this explains so much. So uh, just like a crazy turn of events over the last couple months, my son was home with me over the summer, which took up a lot of my time because he's my kid. And not only am I legally obligated to take care of him, but he's also like the most important thing in my life. And although this podcast is my baby, I do also have an actual baby who isn't really a baby anymore, honestly, but he needs me because I'm the one who knows how to make the mac and cheese and log on to the Xbox (laughs) But but in addition to that, I was also working on this really cool internship that ended up taking up a lot more of my time than I thought it was going to. That was researching people and events in Essex County that had to do with the Revolutionary War. And while I am not personally the most patriotic person, if you haven't noticed, it was a really cool project to be involved with. And so as a way to say, hey, I'm back. (laughs) hopefully for good this time. I don't know. Here's a little taste of what I've been doing with one of the most bananas stories that I researched for this project. So without further ado, sit back, relax and practice your, oh, good God, what the fuck faces. So the Revolutionary War in America officially began in April of 1775 at Lexington and Concord. But in an alternate universe, had the events of February 26, 1775 played out differently, it very well could have begun in Salem, Massachusetts. Yes, the same Salem, Massachusetts of witch trials fame. And I wonder if the events of that day were to have gone different, would people even really talk about the witch trials? I don't know, because it didn't happen that way. But to give a little bit of a background, the American colonies are like not a good place to be in the 1770s. People are pissed for a multitude of reasons that I I mean, it would honestly be like an entire graduate course to really get into. I honestly, I took that graduate course. and I'm not going to do all of that. But various reasons led to why the colonists specifically were pissed off, including taxations, rights violations, trade restrictions, a little bit of slavery issues, which I'll probably get to at some point, uh, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, King George III becomes king, kicks down the door after grandpa dies, and decides that the colonists were acting like a bunch of children, and Daddy King has entered the chat, and he's taking off his belt. And I know 
that some of you are dirty little fuckers who read those smutty novels. So I'm going to say I don't mean that in a sexy smutty daddy way. I mean this in a CPS has been alerted and your kid is going no contact as soon as they turn 18 kind of way. Okay, so Massachusetts has been an especially bad little land mass child. Okay, I'm done with this metaphor. So Massachusetts is like especially bad, right? So in 1774, British Parliament passed the Massachusetts Government Act, which took away the charter that gave them any individualistic rights as a colony, that gave them protections, that gave them all of these things that you wanted as a colony. And one of those things would be that there would be no more elected officials who would be appointed by the Provincial Assembly of Massachusetts. There would just be royally appointed people put in charge, which really pisses off Massachusetts. By the way, the last time Massachusetts lost its charter was in 1684. And so to like link that back into my area of research, which if you're new here, hello, hi, I'm Christina. Nice to meet you. Um, I'm a historian specializing in the history of witchcraft. I live in Salem, Massachusetts. I am like really into witchy history stuff, but I'm also really into other kinds of history. So we talk about it all here, but like my main area of academic specialty is the history of witchcraft, namely English witchcraft and colonial American witchcraft, right? So the last time that Massachusetts lost its charter was in 1684. And when they were in the process of writing up the new charter in 1691 into 1692, it caused so much fear that arguably by myself and many other historians of witchcraft, this led to the hysteria that contributed to the Salem witch trials. So bad things happen when the charter is lost historically. But honestly, when do Americans ever really pay attention to history, right? Again, I'm not patriotic. Uh, But one of these men that was put in charge in Massachusetts was General Thomas Gage, who was appointed by the king as the royal governor of Massachusetts to quiet this anger that Massachusetts is showing towards everybody, right? Like, Britain and the king and the royal officials they did not know that revolution was on their hand. Like nobody expected the Revolutionary War to happen, right? It was sort of like a thing that had, like no one was really sitting there leading up to it being like, well, we know that this is gonna happen. We know that there's gonna be a Revolutionary War. There were talks of war. There were talks of rebellion, but like nobody knew what exactly was going to happen, right? So when General Gage was appointed, it wasn't to like stop the revolution from happening. It was to like quiet down the angry little teenagers in Massachusetts with the way that the king was viewing them. Because there was this very like idea that like the king was the father and then all of the subjects were his children, right? And so when children are acting unruly, you have to punish them, which is why all of these acts and all these other things were passed. Um, But like, (laughs) not the best thing to do. Children rebel for a reason. And then we have the American Revolution, right? But when General Gage was appointed... It, it was just a sort of like quiet down these angry children. It wasn't to like, at the beginning, at least to like push off war from happening, right? So in September of 1774, General Gage seized a large stock of gunpowder from the provincial powder house just outside of Boston, which led to whispers in this time of unrest and fear that this war that everyone was afraid was going to maybe happen was officially beginning. So mobs began forming in Massachusetts and Governor Gage later closed off the city 
force a surrender of weapons and would do the same to any other city that tried anything. And the next month, in October of 1774, the Provincial Assembly was supposed to meet in Salem, Massachusetts, and General Gage told them no. He actually dissolved the Provincial Assembly and... (laughs) They met anyway uh, in Salem, which uh, was probably not really like the best idea. Um, But according to some sources, Governor Gage was distressed about what was happening in Salem, began keeping a closer eye on this North Shore city for any resistance like he was encountering in Boston. And then he receives reports that the people in Salem are acquiring a sizable amount of weapons, namely cannons. So on February 24th, 1775, General Gage sent a man named Colonel Alexander Leslie to Salem with approximately 240 regulars. Um, So regulars are the name that the Redcoats would have actually been called during the revolution, FYI. Like Paul Revere never would have like ridden on his horse saying like the Redcoats are coming, the Redcoats are coming. He would have said the regulars are coming, which is just a historical misconception that a lot of people have that I always kind of like to, you know, well, actually, kind of insert to people, you know. So Colonel Leslie and his men depart Castle William in Boston, as it was called back then. Um, Castle William has now been renamed to Fort Independence because America or whatever. So they leave in the middle of the night and they arrive in Marblehead, which is the city that's right next to Salem in the morning on Sunday, February 26th, 1775. They were very quietly arriving. They're hiding in a place called Holman's Cove. Now, the people in Salem and Marblehead were still very religious during this time. And their Sunday services literally lasted like all day. They would go in the morning, then go home for lunch, and then come back for the afternoon service. So the plan was that Colonel Leslie and his 240 men would hide at Holman's Cove until everyone went in for the afternoon service. And then they would like tiptoe into Salem, have a look around and then be gone before service ended. And like no one would even know the wiser. But the thing is, is that like, you know, like 241 men can't really just like arrive completely unnoticed in a very small harbor, especially when the people are feeling that war is imminent and like happening in Boston, according to some people, right? So even though they were supposed to be in church, there were still some people keeping watch and they see Colonel Leslie and his men traveling into Salem by the only route that leads to Salem through Marblehead. So this guy named Major John Pedrick from Marblehead goes to alert the people of Salem. But if you were paying attention to what I just said, there's only one way into Salem. So Major Pedrick is riding his horse past all of these men like freaking John Ralphio and Mona Lisa Saperstein. Like, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. suspicious, Right. And Colonel Leslie was not only not suspicious, because he had been a guest in Major Pedrick's house before and knew him to be a real old stand-up fella. He not only was not suspicious of him, but he made all of his soldiers step off the road to let him pass by and then saluted Major Pedrick like, fine, fine day, sir. Let me just get out of your way here. What are you doing? I don't care because you're a real stand-up fella, right? I don't know why they're talking like they're in the 1920s, but here you go. So once Pedrick gets far enough away from the marching British army, Major Pedrick, who was known for his skilled riding abilities, takes off like the wind bullseye and alerts some of the major people in Salem, including Captain David Mason, who was the engineer to the Committee of Public Safety. 
and he intended to engineer public safety that day. And all the very religious people of Salem are like, sorry, God, we have business to take care of and some British to go fuck up. Just turn a blind eye. I know it's Sunday. I know it's your day, but like turn a blind eye to us, right? So some of the people take to the streets, alerting everyone else of what's happening so that all the people who can leave church and they can go do whatever, right? Some are going and gathering weapons and getting ready if a fight comes about. David Mason's wife and daughters cross this little drawbridge at North River to this little island where the cannons and weapons are being held to go hide them. People come with them to at least like offer resistance if Colonel Leslie or any of the regulars make it onto the island. And some go to the small bridge that connected Salem and Marblehead and begin pulling up planks so that by the time the British army arrives, they have to wait while these planks that totally fell out due to normal wear and tear and travel and not at all were recently pulled up to create a diversion are fixed. So the regulars finally make their way into Salem and someone who is still loyal to the crown whispers in Colonel Leslie's ear and immediately they all start marching towards North River. And when they get there, it's not what they expected. (laughs) Um, There are a ton of Salemites there. Some of them have weapons. Some of them are just like mean mugging them. There are women there. All of these different people are standing there kind of like barricading them from going. And the drawbridge to this little island has been raised from the other side. And so Colonel Leslie starts yelling about them about like, how dare you block the King's Highway? And this guy in all of the sources is called old Mr. James Barr commented that it was a road built on private property leading to private lots and therefore was not under any control of government bodies. So they're actually not blocking the King's Highway at all. They're stopping a government official from entering their private property, which they do not have the right to do, right? And so Leslie apparently like stomps and swears and responds and then turns towards his men and tells them to get ready to fire their muskets. So militia Captain John Feld replies, quote, You had better be damned than fire. You have no right to fire without further orders. And if you fire, you'll all be dead men. Because what's happening is that behind Captain Felt, sitting on the drawbridge, several Salem residents taunted Colonel Leslie and his men, calling them cowards, lobster coats, and fiddlers because it was like so cold they were shaking, all while insulting their government. And there are people who are armed. One man named specifically is a man named Simmons, who stood the whole day with a musket loaded and ready to fire, right? And this is not very good resistance on your side. And one man named Captain Richard Derby shouts across the water, quote, find the cannons if you can, take them if you can, but they will never be surrendered. So this is what's behind Captain Felt, right? Lots of resistance. Now behind Colonel Leslie, the Marblehead Regiment is moving into position along the Salem Road, also ready to fight if necessary. And Benjamin DeLand was on his way back into town after going and alerting the people of Danvers about the regulars' activities. So by that evening, 3,000 militiamen from as far as Amesbury were making their way to Salem. The Danvers militia, by the way, had apparently taken up residence at the Salem distillery to, quote, protect its precious wares, because of course they did. Like, why wouldn't you? So it's safe to say that Colonel Leslie did not order his men to fire, which is good, because if they had, it would have started the war outright. 
But Colonel Leslie wasn't just going to leave. So he says that if you don't want to let me on to uh, to this little island, if you want to lower the, bra- the drawbridge, like I am prepared to be here until autumn. And Captain Felt's like, yeah, nobody would care for that dude. Like you've been outsmarted just fucking leave. And Colonel Leslie is like, I can't leave. Like I've been sent here on orders. I have to get onto that island where I have been told that there are arms and cannons and weapons and all this kind of stuff. I have been given orders. I cannot go back to Boston and tell the royal governor that I did not complete his orders. So if you don't want to let me go on and I'm not leaving, I'm just going to hang out here for fucking ever, right? So it's at that point that Colonel Leslie kind of notices these three gondolos, they're called in all the sources, which are these large sailboats. And he turns towards some of his men to command them to go seize these gondolos. But the men of Salem reach them first and begin destroying them. And Colonel Leslie is demanding them to stop. And soldiers are like raising their weapons at them. And they're like, we're going to stab you with our bayonets if you don't stop destroying these boats. But I mean, like the Salem Gazette said, quote, what law was a man forbidden to put a hole in his own gondola if he was so minded? So one of these guys from Salem who is breaking apart the boat is named Joseph Witcher. He works at the distillery and he like makes eye contact with the soldiers and destroys the last boat and then tears open his shirt and dares them. Like, you will not use your bayonets, bitch. You won't. Um, Except one of them definitely did. Um, One of the regulars lunges forward and stabs Joseph Witcher, who then falls back onto the boat into the arms of his friends. But luckily, it's not very deep and the regulars did not kill him. Which is good, because if they had, it would have started the war outright. So after again being refused, Colonel Leslie turns towards his men and not only tells them to get ready to fire, but actually instructs them to begin loading their weapons. It's about to be a a massacre on their hands because Colonel Leslie is determined to get onto this little island. So at this point, the Reverend Thomas Bernard runs out of the crowd and starts trying to calm everyone down because it is the Lord's Day after all. But here's the problem with Reverend Bernard. He was either an outright loyalist or very recently loyal to the crown or at least sympathetic to the crown, which means that these very patriotic men who are defending Salem do not trust him. So like no one is putting their guns down when Reverend Thomas Bernard steps forward, right? But he actually comes up with this really good compromise and is like, hey, you, Colonel Leslie, you need to cross this bridge that no one who owns that land on the other side wants you to do. So how about you can cross the bridge, we'll lower the drawbridge, but you cannot go onto any of their property and you can only look in this small area, like less than 250 yards, and then you need to come back and leave. Because nobody... I think, like, nobody wants a war to happen. Like, nobody wants a massacre to happen in Salem on this day, right? And people on both sides are armed and ready to fire at will. But everyone agrees to this compromise, so no one fires, which is good, because if they had, it would have started the war outright. So Colonel Leslie crosses the bridge. He looks about 250 yards or so, just as they agreed to. He doesn't find anything in a small area and he starts retreating. Now, if Colonel Leslie and his men were allowed to look a little bit further, they would have found the 19 French cannons owned by Mason and Derby at Captain Robert Foster's blacksmith shop. 
So Colonel Leslie and his 240 men begin retreating from Salem with their tails between their legs after being physically surrounded and prevented from completing their mission while being screamed at and called all these terrible names. But the Salemites are not done yet. A 30-year-old nurse named Sarah Tarrant leans out of her window and screams at them to go home, that they were on a fool's errand, and then she chastises them for interrupting their Sunday service, all while waving a turkey wing duster for emphasis at them and added, quote, do you think we were born in the woods to be frightened by owls? Which was a very common phrase back then to basically be like, there are so many more things to be afraid of after all that we've been through. Do you think that something that is literally never going to do anything is going to harm us, right? In response, a frustrated regular raises his firearm and takes aim at her and tells her to shut the fuck up. And she responds, quote, fire if you have the courage, but I doubt it. He did not have the courage and he did not fire, which is good because if he had, it would have started the war outright. So Colonel Leslie reportedly leaves purple-faced and staring straight ahead, surrounded by soldiers from all over northern Massachusetts and Sarah Tarrant lived in Salem into her 80s, where she died a peaceful death of old age. So later on, General Gage admits that, like, this was a mistake and the British army is being laughed at and this is not a very good thing to happen, right? And in England, on April 17th of 1775, the Gentleman's Magazine of London published an article about this. And in this newspaper, they they say, quote, By a ship just arrived from America, it is reported that the Americans have hoisted their standard of liberty at Salem. And that there was, quote, no doubt that the next news will be an account of a bloody engagement between the two armies. And two days later, on April 19th of 1775, the war officially began at Lexington and Concord. So this whole event in Salem is known as Leslie's Retreat. When we moved here, there even used to be a restaurant here called Leslie's Retreat, which was always like really hilarious to me. But honestly, I feel like there was nothing funny about that day when it was happening. It must have been so scary that literally one wrong move, like if someone fired by accident, if Simmons fired, if a regular fired, if the regular who stabbed John Witcher killed him, if Sarah Turan was killed, like it all could have resulted in a massacre and started the war outright. I mean, war it was inevitable at that point. But I don't think anyone really like wanted to be the one who started it, except for maybe like John Witcher, because he apparently bragged for the rest of his life, tearing open his shirt to everyone, whether they wanted to see it or not, about his scar that was evidence of what he called the first bloodshed of the revolution. So with that... Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or joining my Patreon. And remember, friends, history may be watching you. So don't fuck it up. And don't fuck with Massachusetts. Like, I know I'm a transplant, but there's a reason why we're called massholes, okay? And it's because we will run you over in our cars. (laughs) Okay, bye!